Amen. Thank you so much for your good singing today. Well, let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of John, chapter 20. Book of John, chapter 20. Thank you, Rick. John, chapter 20. We want to begin reading today in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. I've underlined uh, those, that statement, peace be with you, because that's kind of the first official statement that Jesus made to that little body of disciples that were meeting in that room, uh, just wondering uh, when their number was going to be up. They were on the list. Uh, they were going to have to pay a price. They were going to have to die for their faith, too. Uh, this is a this is resurrection evening right here we're talking about the doors were shut they were locked and uh, it's many people believe that Jesus just kind of walked through the wall in his glorified body he just uh, didn't knock on the door he just he just arrived he has the ability of course to do that and uh he these people were afraid the scripture says here and it's nice to have the, the God of all creation say to those who are afraid, peace be with you. That seems to me that that would immediately evoke peace in their heart. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He says, listen, I'm here to show you that, I, that I'm alive. And Jesus said to them again, he repeats it, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Uh, this little statement here is a part of the, uh, I guess we could make it a part of the Great Commission. You know, uh, what's our job in the world? Why are we here? What's our purpose? Well, our purpose is very similar to the purpose of Jesus on this earth. Jesus, in effect, is passing the mantle, uh, giving the torch to the disciples that are, that are going to be very soon making up the body of Christ his eyes in the world, his feet in the world, his arms in the world, his heart in the world. He says, listen, my father sent me into the world. Now I'm sending you just like he sent me. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is a wonderful thing. Uh, boy, when you read what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, it's so incredible. Whenever he was trying to calm the hearts of his disciples uh, and uh, get them to come to grips with the idea he was leaving them, that was a pretty hard sell. But Jesus said, listen, it's expedient for you that I go away because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come to you. But when I send him to you, he will be in, in you and he will be with you forever. Uh, it's uh, very clear what uh, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And now we find that that particular promise is being kept. Leaf back just a few pages to the left in John chapter 14. Let's look at a verse here, verse 16. When Jesus was explaining to his disciples his departure, he says that he's going to pray to the Father. And you know, when Jesus prayed, uh, he, uh, he did quite well at it. He's the creator of it. And he says, I'm going to pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper. Some of your Bibles say comforter, counselor. Uh, the Greek word parakletos, it means uh, someone called alongside to help. 
that he may abide with you for how long? Forever, right? I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you not on a, uh, a trial basis or a temporary visitation. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you to be with you forever. When a person accepts Jesus as their Savior, God, uh, God sends his Holy Spirit into their heart. He's called the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Truth, and he's there forever. Uh, a person is never, ever, ever alone after that. We always have God with us. God is always in our life. Verse 17 says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. Now, the Holy Spirit is in the heart of every believer, in the life of every believer. It's a wonderful thing to wake up in the morning and know that the Holy Spirit is with you. Amen? Wow. It's a wonderful thing to go to bed at night and say, Lord, the Holy Spirit is with me. God and you, you've heard it said many times, are a majority, right? Sure. Uh, there are many promises surrounding Easter. One is a promise that Jesus made himself in John 12:32. Uh, we have that back there. John 12:32. Let's read it. If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, the previous verse, verse number 31 says, now is the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's referring to Satan. When Jesus came into the world, he came with the express purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And the ultimate weapon of the devil was death. Uh, he terrorized people with the thought of death uh, for centuries. But when Jesus came into the world, verse John 12, 31 says, listen, judgment now is coming upon this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. Uh, a great victory took place when Jesus died upon the cross. The devil was defeated. His ultimate weapon, the weapon of death, was disarmed. And Jesus said, when you tell people about what I did for them on the cross, that means that you're lifting me up from the earth. And when you lift me up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Boy, there's so much in that verse. The message of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. Uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power of the gospel. When we tell this little story, this is so neat. When you share this little story that Christ died for, the, for your co-workers, when you tell this little story that Christ died for your family, it is God who does the work in their heart. Now, I know that you and I are programmed to try to make things happen, right? Some of you are controllers. I'm curious this morning how many of you are here. Will you admit it today if you're a controller? How many people are? Don't raise your hand yet. One lady was pushing her husband's hand up like that. Now, if your husband or your wife won't raise their hand, then you push it up, okay? How many people have, somebody have said, you're a controller, raise your hand. Now, I got both hands up right now. My wife told me one time, you, God made you to push other people around. <laughs> Namely, me. Well, I pray about that all the time, you know, I... 
and so does she. She pretty she. And and I'm getting a whole lot better, but I'm running out of time for improvement. You know, Jesus said, "If I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to me." You know, we don't listen. We cannot get anybody saved. You know that? I can't do it. You might say, I know you're a controller and you think you can until you try. But Jesus said you don't have to do that. All you have to do is lift people, lift me up. He said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw people to me. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. When Jesus was lifted up, immediately people were drawn to him. He didn't even say anything. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Just think with me this morning about the people that were surround the cross. There were the, I, I was just been reading about this last week, the, uh, the uh, soldiers. You know, they were a, an intricate part of the death of Christ. They uh, participated. They scourged him. That was an awful thing. They put that crown of thorns on his head. They put that purple robe on him. They hit him with their hands. They put in his uh, right hand a reed, and then they took it out, and they beat him on the head with it. They spit on him, and uh, Jesus took it. He opened not his mouth in retaliation. And they realized that there's something so, so different about Jesus. Uh, he declared, uh, remember, in life, and the reason why he was on the cross, the main reason is uh, he made himself to be the son of God. That was the Sanhedrin's uh, mark against him. And so uh, there he was. But in the midst of all of this, he was drawing these soldiers to him. Uh, the scripture says in Luke 23, 47, so when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. The Bible says in Mark 15, 39, uh, that uh, they said that he was the son of God. And also in Matthew 27, 54, uh, the centurion claimed that he made himself, the son, that he is indeed the son of God. And so right around the cross, he was being lifted up. He didn't even open his mouth. He was drawing these soldiers to him. Uh, there seemed to be a number of these soldiers that believed on him when he died upon the cross. After they saw the earthquake, uh, they believed on him. They said, certainly, he is the Son of God. Uh, in addition to that, uh, remember, there was a thief on the cross, and uh, he came to faith, too. That's called, I call it, deathbed repentance. Don't, uh, don't wait for that. You know that? Uh, there are not many people that, uh, that have that experience. Uh, that, I think that is a valid experience. And I think it's good to try to persuade people at the end of their life, if they haven't already, uh, to come to Christ. But uh, I'll tell you what, let's get way ahead of the curve here. And uh, don't be waiting on somebody to get in intensive care. Uh, before you share the most important message ever shared with them. Well, the Sanhedrin uh, wanted the bodies off the cross so that they could not defile the Sabbath day, and they asked Pilate, remember, uh, to go break the legs, and he was uh, 
quick to do this, but if you remember the story, whenever they went out to break the legs of the, uh, of the people on the cross, uh, Jesus was already dead, and they were so surprised. And um, to me, I guess the reason why Jesus died so quickly is because he died for all the sins of the world. And uh, that's a lot of sin, you know that? That's a lot of pain. Uh, whenever they broke the legs of the, uh, the people on the cross, they died almost immediately of a, a suffixication. They couldn't breathe. Uh, why did Jesus die quickly and they didn't have to break his legs? You know the reason why. The Bible says in the prophecy that his legs would not be broken. But more than that, Jesus wanted to be the Lord over the timing of his death. He didn't want them to call the time. He was the one who called the time. He said, I have power to lay my life down. I have power to raise it up. Just uh, listen, I'm in charge. And he came upon this mission of mercy, and he died upon the cross for our sins. And he's the one that chose the time of his death, not them. Uh, Joseph, remember, and Nicodemus came and stepped up and took the body of Jesus and uh, Psalm 34:20 says, "Not one of his bones will be broken." Uh, it's the message of the cross that draws people to the Lord. Always remember that. I know that you, we get traumatized, at, and I'm, I, I've been there many times, uh, almost daily, uh, about spirit, people's spiritual condition, and I wish that I could just jump up and change it. Uh, but uh, one of the best things that I could ever do is just share with them the simple story that Christ died for their sins. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will what? I will draw them. See, I want to push them. That's my nature. I want to push them into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, listen, I'll draw them into the kingdom of God. You just tell the story. You just tell the story. And, uh, you know, Paul was particularly infected with the preaching of the cross. 1 Corinthians one twenty three. we have that. Let's read it. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. He said, this is my mission. My mission is to preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Read it. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, this is what drives me. This is what I think about. When I get up in the morning, I want to go share this message that Christ was died for the sins of the world. Because if I do that, Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw these people to me. Uh, he was infected by the preaching of the cross. He knew that's what, that's what he needed to do. Uh, Galatians 6.14 is a wonderful verse. Let's read it. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross. He said, this is what's on my mind, the preaching of the cross. Now that's Paul. And don't you think that if Paul was one of those great leaders of the, new, of the early church that you and I should follow in his footsteps. Let you and I become infected with the preaching of the cross, uh, with the sharing of the message. 1 Corinthians 1.17 is another verse. Let's read that. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech. 
for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Now, to me, if there was anybody that could speak with clever speech, it would be Paul. He was quite a character and quite an educated person, and he could probably, if he wished to, he could probably dazzle his audience very well, but he said, you know, I suppress that. I'm not into that. I just want to give the gospel with a clear uh, presentation, because if I... Because if I give this clever speech, people will be attracted to me and they'll become my followers rather than the follower of Jesus. Uh, but he says, the Lord didn't send me to, ba be ba to baptize. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not putting down baptism. Baptism is important, but Paul says, and, but it's not essential for salvation. Baptism is just a symbol of our salvation. It's an outward confession of our faith. He said, that's not my main goal. My main goal is to preach the message, the cross, the good news. And if we lift Jesus up, uh, he will do the convincing. He will do the drawing. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing to know today? It kind of takes the pressure off of us, doesn't it? Because we, we kind of work the angles. I like to use that word, work the angles. I, I've always worked the angles, you know? If this doesn't work, I work this angle. And if that angle don't work, I try that angle. Uh, to bring somebody to the Lord, to bring somebody to church, to get them under the sound of the gospel. Uh, we just uh, work the angles. And uh, Paul says, listen, just preach the gospel. Boy, that takes a lot of pressure off. Because after a while, you, you run out of angles, right? Sure. And so uh, the Messiah is alive. And uh, the appearances are so numerous, I I said last week, for those of you who are here, Jesus in his resurrection didn't go into town and wag his finger under the nose of Caiaphas and Annas and say, listen, I told you so, I'd be back. I said to you, he didn't bring that up, he said to you, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. Uh, he made the next 40 days his mission to appear to his disciples to convince them that he was alive because they were going to be witnesses of his resurrection. And he, who did he appear to first? Remember? Mary Magdalene. Uh, you know, someone that's as greatly delivered as her is usually greatly committed to the Lord. You know that? You know, there are big salvation stories and there are little ones. Uh, some people, if, if we could like put the service on hold this morning, pause, push the pause button and open it up from the floor for you to tell your story. I think some of us would be really shocked about where some of you were when Jesus found you. The depths of despair and sin and brokenness and wretchedness before Christ came into your life and how he changed you. It'd be a really a kind of a thrilling story and you'd tell your story and we'd be like, yeah, isn't that awesome? But one of the men of our church told me a number of years ago, he says, you know, he says, I feel a little bit intimidated when people tell their salvation story because mine is so almost uninteresting. Uh, I was raised in the church. I was saved as a little kid in the church. And I never experienced the broken life that others experienced. And he says, I feel a little intimidated telling my story because it's so simple. But then he says, you know, it's really so great they don't have to tell that story. And so in our church, there are little kids that are coming to Christ, and 
they come with such a beautiful, sincere heart for God and they, they accept the gospel so perfectly. And Jesus said, listen, you as an adult, that's the way you have to come too. They're, they're an example of what has to happen to us. We have to humble our heart like those little kids. And Jesus says, when you have a humble heart like them, then I'm going to listen to you. Then you can come to me. And so in our church, we have these big, dramatic, awful stories of a life that... Uh, a life of wretchedness and brokenness. And then we have the other stories which we want more of, right? We want more of the little kids that grow up in church and, and they don't go out and they're not broken and hospitalized and their life is, doesn't have a trail of wretchedness and brokenness behind them. That's what we want. That's what we're shooting for. Uh, and so Mary Magdalene, boy, she had a story to tell. You know, life is hard under the best of circumstances. You know that? Amen. Can I have a bigger amen than that? Amen. Holy cow. Life is hard under the best of circumstances. But if you have seven demons, don't you think that'd be real hard? Whew. Sure. And boy, no wonder she was so committed to God. Uh, the first person that Jesus uh, appeared to was Mary Magdalene. And then the second group is just simply the other women. It's interesting that Jesus appeared to the women first and they couldn't even testify in a court of law to be a witness. And he said, listen, I'll show you what I think of women. I'm going I'm to appear to them first because they're going be, to be my witnesses. And women are good witnesses, you know that? When there's a sale going on at Macy's, they are good witnesses. I'll tell you what, they, the word spreads. It's incredible how the word spreads. You know, 30% off, here we go. Whew, man, it's awesome. And so Jesus knew these women would be great witnesses. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting as you study them in the Bible, uh, the, the Bible says they cared for the needs of Jesus, these women. They were the ones that came to bat for the Lord. And when I think about... You know, my growing, my young growing up years uh, over in Sheridan, when I, when I tell you the story of that little church that I went to, remember? Uh, the little church is still there. I, I don't even think they're meeting it anymore, but the building is still there, I think, right next to Langley High School. I remember when I went to church there as a young kid, there was mostly women in the church. And they were always complaining, the guys in the church won't take any leadership. They, they're just not into it. But the women stepped up and they did it. And it's interesting that the women stepped up for Jesus too. Thank God for you women. Uh, you're a gigantic encouragement and help in the ministry of the Lord. And so the Lord says, listen, I'm going to show you here who I'm going to appear to first. These people took care of me. Mary Magdalene, she worshipped me, and, and I'm going to show her. I'm going to appear to you first, and then the women. And then he appeared thirdly to Peter in Jerusalem. Now, Peter needed a personal encounter with Jesus. You know, he didn't know where he stood after what he had done. You know, and, and I find this true in the church a lot of times. People fall out of fellowship with God, and they, we use that word, and I, I don't know the exact definition of it, but we use that word backsliding, you know, and that, to me that just means you're not where you used to be. Well, you could be anywhere along the line. I think all of us kind of, our, our Christian life is kind of fluid, isn't it? One, one week we're like so on fire for Jesus, the next week it's like, I wish somebody would light something in my life. You know, what happened? And so, but Peter, I mean, he, he really, somebody put, somebody put the, his fire out completely when he denied the Lord. How many times? Uh, he was probably locked in a fit of depression, and that's what happens to people in the church. 
You know, they come to church and they look around at you and me and they think, boy, they're serving the Lord so beautifully. What's wrong with me? And sometimes people get kind of like get depressed and they, they say, boy, I'm not of any value to God at all. And so I guess I, 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 something wrong with me. And, and so they kind of uh, like back out of the picture, right? And that's what happened to Peter. And so Jesus said, listen, I'm going to go to tell Peter, listen, everything's okay. I, I still love you. You denied me, but, uh, um, but failure is not final. And that's the message that all of us have to learn, isn't it? Failure is not final. Let's say that. Failure is not final. Every, every successful thing that I've ever learned, almost, has been a result of failure. Now, I know that I should be a good learner of a positive lessons, but I'm, I'm just not very good at that at all. But if I fail two or three times, then it's like, oh, okay, I'm, I must be slow on the draw. Failure, Peter, is not final. Listen, I have work for you to do. Uh, get up, stand up, shake yourself off. I love you, let's go on. And boy, that was good news to Peter. And then remember, we talked about this last week. There were those travelers on the road to Emmaus. Wow. Their head was spinning and they were sad. And Jesus' message to them was, listen, don't be sad. I'm alive. And then, and then we finally arrive at where we read here in John chapter 20, verse 19, the disciples in the evening. The ten disciples were there. Judas wasn't, of course. Thomas wasn't. He, I said he had the flu. I think he was more than had the flu. I think he was depressed. Uh, Thomas, remember, was that kind of depressing person Remember when Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he said, oh, let's go. We're all going to die with him anyway. He was not an inspirational leader. Uh, And so he was probably home just too depressed to come to church. Jesus came into into the room and he said, peace be with you. Peace with God. That's what God wants. That's that's our mission as a church. And we call that reconciliation. Reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 5.18 says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? That's bringing people together. Now, hold your place where we are. Boy, time is flying this morning. My goodness. When you're having fun, time flies, doesn't it? Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 5 as quickly as we can. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 23 is a very interesting verse. Uh, Jesus is teaching about worship here. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Uh, Jesus is saying, listen here, when you worship, uh, I just don't want you to go through the motions because I... I'm looking at your heart, not your motions. I'm looking at something deeper, and I see in your life some broken relationship. And I want you to, before you come to worship, I want you to get your relationship straightened out, because I did say to you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That means anybody. And so if you have this broken relationship, don't be going through the idea that you're so pure and holy and you're worshiping me and everything is so cool. Uh, 
before you go through that, I want you to go fix things up if you can. And, uh, and so it's interesting that uh, this ministry of reconciliation that we have is the ministry to go out and tell people, listen, the first person you need to fix things up with is God before you try to worship the Lord. People come to church all the time and they go through the little routine and ritual of singing and listening to sermons and giving their money and shaking hands and smiling at each other. But, uh, but Jesus said, listen, before you do that, I want you to work your relationship thing out and make things right, especially with God. And it's interesting, in this passage of Scripture right here that we just read, uh, if your brother has something against you, who is it, first of all, that has something against you? It's God. That's who. What is God's attitude toward your relationship? What is God's attitude toward us? Well, here we have a verse, Romans 1.18. Let's look at that. Let's read it. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. Now, here in Romans chapter 1, God is trying to show the people his attitude toward sinners. And we're all in that category. And especially more so before we come to Christ. And so, and so here he shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who push away the truth. How does God show his anger? God shows his anger to sinful people by, by letting them uh, pay the consequences of their sin. AIDS, HIV virus, addiction, drunkenness, wickedness in politics. Everybody pays the price of all those things, right? And that's how God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful. I'll tell you what, it is hard to live a sinful life. Do you know that? Because of the trail of brokenness and heartbreak that is behind that trail. God, God's showing his anger in that way. Uh, those who push the truth away from themselves. You know, I, I visualize the church as a, a group of people trying to serve the truth to people. We get it all prepared and we say, okay, here it is. And you know, the people in the world, you know what they do? They look at this. They push the truth where? Away. We serve it all up for them. We get everything ready for them in our musical programs, in our Sunday school, in our church service, and we say, okay, here's the truth. Partake of it. And a lot of people go, no thanks. They just push it away. Um, and, so, and so they have the truth, and we're preaching the truth, and they push it away. Well, Romans one twenty-five, and this will be our last verse. Let's read it. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things that God created. Now, our generation is particularly bad at that, right? They replaced God with the worship of success and property and wealth. They demoted God by elevating their own homespun philosophies. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, you know, this is just what I think about it. Uh, they ignore God by devoting themselves to leisure and career. 
rejecting his claim on their life. They worshiped the things that God created rather than the creator himself. Well, in Romans 2.5, the Bible says they're storing up a terrible punishment for themselves because of their stubbornness and refusing to turn from their sin. Uh, and so the first person that we have to reconcile with before we worship is the person that we've offended, the person who has something against us, and that's God. We have offended a holy God. We have, uh, we have offended his holiness, and uh, he is exhibiting his anger against us. And so we have to run to him and say, Lord, forgive me for offending you. I've uh, offended your holiness, and I'm, I'm hurt over it. I'm broken over it. And then after we get that relationship passed up, then we come to church and then we worship. And the Lord says, now it's time to worship. You've got that, that relationship passed up between you and God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I, I wonder how your relationship is with God this morning. Have you, have you uh, come to the Lord? You've offended him. Uh, and uh, Jesus said here, listen, if your brother has something against you, and God does, uh, I want you to first be reconciled to him and then come and offer your gift. Uh, are you uh, reconciled to God through the blood of his son, through repentance and forgiveness? Well, you can, you can today be that in that position, but you have to come to God and humble yourself and say, Lord, I know I've offended you. I've hurt you. I'm sorry. It was for your sins that Christ died upon the cross. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. It's so inspirational to us. It's so, it's so challenging for us, and it's so true. Lord, we, uh, we are just humbled uh, in the light of your truth today. We pray that you will move among us in the church this morning if people need to come and pray at the altar about things going on in their life or the life of a friend. We pray that you'll give them uh, uh, peace and uh, a welcome to come to the altar to pray today. In Jesus' name we pray.